Chapter 14 of Railstone Luck by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14 Pirate Ways Are Hidden Ways. The rain, fine and needle like, stung Val's face. There were ominous pools of water gathering in the garden depressions. Even the small stream which bisected their land had grown from a shallow trickle into a thick, mud streaked roll crowned with foam. But the bayou was the worst. It had put off its everyday sleepiness with a roar. A chicken coop wallowed by as the boy struggled with the knot of the painter which held the outboard. And after the coop travelled a dead tree, its topmost branches bringing up against the plantation landing with a crack. Val waited for it to whirl on before he got on board his craft. The adventure was more serious than he had thought. It might not be a case of merely going downstream and into the swamp to the cabin. It might be a case of fighting the rising water in grim battle. Why he did not turn back to the house then and there he never knew. What would have happened if he had? He sometimes speculated afterward. If Ricky had not come into the garden to hunt him? If together they had not? While Val went with the current, his voyage was ease itself. But when he strove to cut across and so reach the mouth of the hidden swamp stream, he narrowly escaped upsetting. As it was, he fended off some dark blot bobbing through the water, his palm meeting it with a force that jarred his bones. But he did make the mouth of the swamp stream. Switching on the strong searchlight in the bow, he headed on. And because he was moving now against the current, it seemed that he lost two feet for every one that he advanced. The muddy water was whipped into foam where it tore around shrub and willow. There were no longer any confining banks, only a waste of water glittering through the dark foliage. The drear habitat of the vultures was being swept bare by the scouring of the incoming streams, but its mouldy stench still arose stronger than ever, as if some foulness were being stirred up from its ancient bed. It was only by chance that Val found the drying rack which marked the boundary of Jeem's property. Here the land was higher than the flood which had not yet spread inland. He tied the boat to a willow and splashed ashore. In the lower portions of the path, his feet sank into patches of wet. Something, which might have been, and probably was, a snake, oozed away from the beam of his pocket torch. The clearing was much as it had been, save that the door of the chicken run stood ajar, and its feathered population was gone. But under the cabin, Val saw the betraying sparkle of water. The bayou in the rear must have topped flood level. Someone had been there before him. The lock was battered, and there had been an attempt to pry loose its staples, an attempt which had left betraying gouges on the door frame. But, misused as it had been, the lock yielded to the key and Val went in. Warned by a lapping sound from beneath, it did not take him long to get the chest, relock the door, and head back to the boat. He was none too soon. Already, in the few moments of his absence, there were rills cutting across the mud, rills which were growing in strength and size, and the flood around the drying rack was up a good three inches. Val dumped the chest into the bow with little ceremony and climbed in after it, his wet trousers clinging damply to his legs. Something plate-armoured and possessing wicked yellow eyes swam effortlessly through the light beams, a gator bound for the gulf, whether he would or no. The return as far as the bayou was easy enough, for again the boat was borne on the current. But when Val faced the torn waters of the river, 
he experienced a certain tightness of throat and chill of blood. What might have been the roof of a small shed was passing lumpily as he hesitated. Then came a tree burdened with a small coon, which stared at the boy piteously, its eyes green in the light. An eddy sent its ship close to the boat. The top branches clung a moment to the bow, and to Val's surprise, the coon roused itself to a mighty effort and crossed into the eggshell safety the boat offered. Once in the outboard, it retreated to the bow where it crouched beside the chest and kept a wary eye on Val's every movement. But he could not rescue the wildcat which swept by spitting at the water from a log, nor the shivering doe which awaited the coming of death, marooned on an islet which was fast being cut away by the hungry waters. And all the time the stinging rain fed the flood. Val gripped the rudder until the bar was printed deep across his palm. Soon it would be too late. He must cross now, heading diagonally downstream to escape the full fury of the current. With a deep breath, he turned out into the bayou. It was like fighting some vast, animated feather bed. His greatest efforts were as nothing against the overpowering sweep seaward, and there was constant danger from the floating booty of the storm. The mud spray lashed his body, filling the bottom of his craft as if it were a teacup, and once the boat was whirled almost around. Val was beginning to wonder just how long a swimmer might last in that black fog of rain, wind and water when his bow eased into comparatively quiet water. He had crossed the main current. Now was the time to head upstream. Grimly he did, to begin a struggle which was to take on all the more horrible properties of a nightmare. For this was many times worse than his fight against the swamp stream. Twice the engine sputtered protestingly, and Val thought of trying to leap ashore, but stubbornly the outboard fought on. If there ever were a sturdy ship, fit to be named with Columbus's gallant craft or Hudson's vessel, it was that frail outboard which buffeted the rising waters of a Louisiana bayou gone flood-mad. It achieved the impossible. It crept upstream inch by inch, escaping disaster after disaster by the thinness of a dime. Since he had apparently not been born to drown, Val thought, as he saw his headlight touch the tip of the landing, he would doubtless depart this life by hanging. Then his light picked out something else which lay between him and the landing. The sleek, knife-board cruiser certainly did not belong to Pirate's Haven, and what neighbor would come calling by water on such a night? It was moored by two thick ropes to a sunken post, and already the mooring was dragging the boat down. Val headed in toward it, running the outboard between the stranger and the landing. Out of the blackness ashore, a shadow arose and waved at him frenziedly. Then he saw Ricky's white face above her long oil-silk cape. Her hair was plastered tight to her skull, and she was protecting her eyes from the fury of the rain with her hands. Val sent the boat in shore until it bit into the crumbling surface of the levee with a shock which threatened his balance. Ricky snatched at the painter and held steady while he jumped. They made the boat fast, and Val landed the chest. The passenger did his own disembarking, making his way into the garden without a backward look. Then Val demanded an explanation. What are you doing here? He tried to outscreech the wind. In answer, she clapped her wet, muddy hand across his mouth and pulled him back from the levee. They reached the semi-shelter of a rotting summer house where he put down the chest. 
Ricky pushed her wet hair out of her eyes. It was impossible for them to hear each other without screaming madly. Jeems told me after you left, Val, how could you be so mad? I made it. He touched the chest with his toe. After we had practically kidnapped him, we couldn't let his belongings just float away. But why are you out here? And where did that boat come from? I came out here after Jeems told me. I'm all right, she laughed shakily. I've got my oldest clothes on and this. She touched her cape. I couldn't stay in there waiting after I knew. And I didn't want Rupert to ask questions, so I said that I was going to bed with a headache. Then I slipped out here to the levee. And I hadn't been here two minutes before that boat came downstream. There were four men in it, and they got out and went into the bushes over there. And Val, Rupert is down at the other end of the garden, where they are having trouble with the levee. Holmes and Creighton went down to see if they could help too, just after you left. There's nobody but Charity up at the house with Lucy and Letty Lou. Val, what are we going to do? She appealed to him. First, I'll investigate these visitors, he said easily though he felt far from easy within. Me too, she said firmly, if ungrammatically, and since Val could not wait to argue, she went along. They took the route she had watched the invaders follow, wriggling through wet bushes and around trees. Val, look out! She grabbed his arm and so saved him from tumbling headlong into a black hole in the ground. Vines and a small shrub or two had been ruthlessly torn out to bear the opening. It was here that the visitors must have gone to earth. And then Val had a glimmering of the truth. The boss and his friends had at last found Jeems' private door. Prudence urged that they return to the house and send Sam to or some other messenger down to the crossroads store to summon the police by phone. Prudence, however, had never successfully advised any railstone. They had a decided taste for fighting their own battles. So, torch in hand, Val dropped into the hole, and a moment later Ricky slid down to join him. They stood in a rough passage. Stout timbers banked its sides and guarded the roof. There was a damp underground smell such as Val had noticed in the cellar of the house, but the air was fresh enough. After the first hasty survey, the boy held his fingers over the bulb of the flashlight so that only the faintest glimmer escaped to light their path. The passage was short, ending abruptly in a low bricked room. Save for themselves, a tangle of rotting rope in the far corner, and two lively black beetles, it was empty. Val, Ricky's throaty whisper reached him. Can't you guess what this is? The first pirate railstone's storage house. It was a likely enough explanation, though nothing could have been stored there very long. The place was too damp. Beads of slimy moisture from the walls dripped slowly down, shining like silver in the light. At the other side of the room was a corridor branching away, but this they barely glanced into, little knowing how that neglect was to prove disastrous in the end. It was the main door to their right which interested them most, for that led, so far as Val could determine, toward the house, and that must have been the one the mysterious visitors had followed. Thus they came into the second of their pirate ancestors' storerooms. This one was long and narrow. Three wooden casks, eaten with decay and spotted with fungus, stood against the wall, testifying to the use to which this chamber had been put, though the all-pervading damp could not have been good for the wine. Again a dark archway tempted them on, and the third room into which they came had a more grim reminder of the scarlet past of the house. 
for Ricky stumbled over something which clinked dully. And when Val used the flash, they looked down upon a telltale length of chain ending in an iron ring, its other end soldered into the wall. Val, Ricky's voice quavered, did, did they keep people here? Slaves, perhaps, her brother answered soberly and shoved the rusting metal aside with his foot but there were two other chains hanging from the wall, speaking of past horrors of which he did not care to think. And then, as their light picked out these damning testimonials, Val thought that the railstones, for all their pride and fine brave airs, had only been pirates after all, akin to those whom they were now hunting through the dark. There was a low arched doorway of brick on the right side of the room, and this they passed through. Beyond were three broad stone steps, worn a little on the treads, one cracked clear across. These led to a wide landing paved with brick. Here the walls were brick as well. Ricky touched one involuntarily and drew back her hand with a little exclamation of disgust. She wiped her palm vigorously on the wet surface of her cape. Everywhere was the smell of rot and slow, wild decay. In spite of its historical associations, decided Val, this vault should be sealed forever from the daylight and left to the sole occupancy of those nameless things which creep in its dark. The very air, in spite of its freshness, seemed tainted. Another flight of stairs was before them, the treads fashioned of stone but equipped with a rotted wooden handrail, and above was the faint reflection of light and the sound of voices. Val hesitated and realized for the first time how foolhardy the expedition was. Those above would be prepared to handle interruptions. Val was determined to keep Ricky out of trouble, and to go on alone was the rankest folly. But, as he hesitated, the decision was taken out of his hands, for the light above suddenly became brighter. Grabbing at Ricky's arm, he stumbled back into the shelter of the archway, pulling her after him. A round circle of light shone plainly at the top of the stairs. Someone was coming down. Ricky's breath was warm on Val's cheek, and she moved with the faint crackling of her cape, which sounded as loud as a thunderclap in his ears. "'How are we gonna do it without busting the wall down?' demanded an aggrieved voice from the top of the stairs. "'There ain't no knob, no handle, no nothing to work it from this side, and these guys what stored their stuff here in the bootlegging days never got into the house.' The boy got through, didn't he? Val knew that voice, the boss of the swamp meeting. Well, if he did, we can. Listen, boss, it's a secret, ain't it? And we gotta know how it works before we can work it. And listen here, you swamp bum, you keep out of my way, see? I don't care if you were one of Mike Flanagan's boys, they don't cut no ice with me. This truculent warning must have been addressed to an unseen companion on the same stair level. The listeners below heard a faint sound which might have marked a collision, and then the hiss of swamp French spoken hurriedly and angrily. What you gonna do now, boss? The light, halfway down the stairs, paused. There is some way of opening that panel, and we gonna find it, all right, all right, but tell me how. I don't know whether it will be necessary to open it, from this side. What do you mean? Use that thick skull of yours, Red. Doors swing two ways, don't they? They can be used either to go in or to go out. Got it. The thick voice was oily with flattering approval. We can get out this way. Smart work, Red. Did you think that out all by yourself? Asked the other contemptuously. 
Yes, we can come out this way when, his voice was sharp with purpose, we are finished. Send one of the swampers down to the levee where the men are working. As long as this flood keeps rising, we are safe. Then the other three of us will go for the house. We may be seen that way, but there's no use spending any more time here playing tic-tac-toe on that wood up there. We locate what we want, and if we are cornered, we can come out through here to the bayou. Slick enough. Great stuff, boss, Red began, but the rest was muffled, for Ricky and Val drew back into the room of the chains. There was only one thing to do now, reach Rupert and the others and prepare to meet these skulkers in the open. But before they had quite crossed the room, Ricky came to grief. She caught her foot in one of those gruesome chains and stumbled forward, falling on her hands and knee. The noise of her fall echoed around the low chamber with betraying clamor. A white light beat upon them as Val stooped to aid Ricky. Stop! came the shout, but Val had only one thought, to dim that light. He swung back his arm and flung his own flash straight at the other. There was a grunt of pain and the light fell to the floor. With a tinkle of breaking glass it went out. Val pulled Ricky to her feet and threw her toward the door, forgetting everything but the wild panic which urged him out of that place of foul darkness. They bruised their hands against the brick as they felt for the opening, and then they were out in the other chamber. Val! Ricky clung to him. I've got that little flash I keep under my pillow at night. Wait a minute, until I get it out of my pocket. We can't find our way out of here without a light. Muffled sounds from behind them suggested that their pursuers were on the trail even without light. After all, given enough time, it would be easy for them to feel their way out of the vaults. Val hustled Ricky on, taking his direction from one of the wine casks he had bumped into. And before he allowed her to hunt for her torch, they stood in the first of the chambers. The light she produced was poor, and it flickered warningly. But it was good enough for them to see the dark opening which led to the outer world. They ducked into this just as the first of the other party came cursing into the open. At Val's orders, Ricky switched off the light, and they crept along by the wall, one hand on its guiding surface. But the way seemed longer than it had upon their entering. Surely they should have reached the garden entrance by now? And the surface underfoot remained level instead of slanting upward. Suddenly, Ricky gave a little cry. We've taken the wrong passage. There's only a blank wall in front of us. She was right. The torch showed a brick surface across their path and Val remembered too late the second passage out of the first chamber. They must go back and hope to elude the others in the dark. They may have gone out, thinking we were still ahead of them, he mused aloud. Well, it's got to be done, Ricky observed, so we might as well do it. Back they went along the unknown passage. This appeared to run straight out from the first chamber. But why it had been fashioned and then walled up, they had no way of knowing. Ricky's torch picked out the entrance at last. Wait, Val cautioned her. We had better see how the land lies before we go out in the open. They stood listening. Save for the constant drip, drip of water, there was no sound. I guess it's clear, he said. Wonder where all the water is coming from? Ricky shivered. Down from the garden. Come on, I think it's safe to have a light now. Ricky must have been holding the torch upward when she pressed the button, for the round circle of light appeared on the supporting timbers above the door.
they both looked up fascinated for a moment the old oak had been laid in a criss-cross pattern the best support possible in the days when the vaults had been made how wet began ricky val cried out suddenly and struck at her the blow sent her sprawling some three or four feet back into the passage there might be time yet to cover her body with his own he planned desperately before the sound of slipping earth was all about them as val flung himself toward ricky as he thrust blindly at her body rolling her back farther into the tunnel he felt the first clod strike full upon his shoulder ricky's complaining whimper was the last thing he heard clearly for in the dark was the crash of breaking timber he was felled by a stroke across the upper arm and then came a chill darkness in which he was utterly swallowed up end of chapter 14 recording by gabriel glen